welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. It's Advent. Welcome to Advent. Glad you're here. Uh, we have been doing a series uh, each year at Advent where we have invited um, artists, uh, uh, either a painter or uh, I think we've had a potter, a number of different things, and then a writer um, to come with something connected to the theme of Advent or the themes of Advent. And so this year we, we, we talked about these ideas of longing and anticipation and hope. And so uh, I am privileged to introduce Stephanie Golfer, who's going to share a little bit about her painting, and then Kaylee uh, will read a poem that she's prepared. So would you welcome Steph and Kaylee. Good morning. As he said, I'm Stephanie Golfer, and on a daily basis, I spend my time in a high school art room teaching students art. So it was a lot of fun for me to be able to, in a way, be a student having a topic um, of Advent anticipation and longing. So I've created this painting. One of the joys in teaching is watching the students process and seeing what is created individually for each of them. So I'm going to explain a little of my inspiration for this piece and my process in making it. Um, Thinking about longing, I also think of colors. So when I create a piece of art, a lot of times it's in my head. I'll sketch ideas or clip some pictures And just keep a log of different things, and then someday I will create um, my piece. So this one in the painting, I knew red is what I wanted represented. The idea of longing, um, red is a heavy color. It's a color of desire. And I love how colors interact with each other. So I've chosen the lighter blue, the dark blue in between, right above the red, just a little of it, and then the lighter blue, and then it goes into a very light yellowish green. So it's the idea that God is hovering. We are drawn to a higher level. Um, your, your eye is drawn higher in the painting. A lot of similarities in using color and the emotions and feelings that I have in which ones are represented. The horizontal composition, it is similar to a landscape. It could look like um, trees off in the distance, a line of trees or buildings, the sky in the lighter blue. But the majority of it is that red. The process I used in creating this was mostly um, using a palette knife and scraping on a board the paint instead of using a paintbrush. And then in that, it reveals what was below. So there's many different layers and how those colors interact with each other. It was, it's an enjoyable process for me to paint like this. So, color representing light, and light being only seen when there is in the midst of darkness, and knowing God is the light in that, that is the theme of my painting. I hope you enjoy it. So, um, I feel like waiting actually has defined a lot of my life. Um, And if I would pick one word to kind of categorize the last 10 plus years of my life, it would be actually wait. And so when I heard what the theme of Advent was going to be this year, um, you know, waiting, um, longing, anticipation, I knew what I had to write about immediately, um, even though I really didn't want to do it. (laughs) Um, So this piece is titled very intentionally, Wait. One, Sarah. Sarah's hands tell a story. Nearly nine decades of sun and work and love and longing. 
In duty, she follows her husband, who follows this God across the desert, chasing a promise, chasing a bird's shadow. Sarah's body tells a story. It is utterly empty. Her hands yearn to caress a son's feathered hair, cup his rosy cheeks, kiss feet that have not yet walked. A call, a blessing, a nation born of her blood, as many as the stars in the sky. Sarah jeers, sure she waits on the wiles of the wind. Two, Israel. Night cools on the hot desert crest beneath the country of sleeping heads. A mother nurses her infant in the quiet. A child stirs. An old man wakes from a dream of another life. The marks of lacked love still textured against his pleading skin. There are thousands like him. There are thousands more beside them. They wander. His sons were born along a worn circle in the wasteland. His grandson's wife's belly swells with current. Another child who will know only the tabernacle. Children raised in fabric houses. They walk this forest of dust for four decades, hoping every morning will be different. The old man closes his eyes and prays to dream of promised earth, of homes made of stone. Three, twenty-six. The flowers in her duvet are a midnight of tears. The ridges of her ceiling memorized after years of searching the plaster for constellations. Blood beats and too much whiskey. She grows older, but every moment is exactly the same. Weekends are a hollow house. Nights void of furniture or bones. Even the moon cannot cast shadows without edges to bend light. She goes days without human touch, not even a handshake. Every day, she remembers a whispered promise by an October lake, the sun on her eyelids, the wind kissing the trees into music. But it's been 12 years of someone else's full moons, 12 years of their firsts and heartbreaks and heartfuls and togetherness and knowing, and her knowing is standing in the darkness, recognizing that electricity ropes in the walls around her. So she formulates a future, plans for Parisian cobblestones under her shoes, headlongs into a world that prevails through her fingertips, researches ways to have a baby alone, should it come to that. But every day she asks, when, when, if, Someday. But the voice is water on a warm sidewalk, once cool against her palms, now invisible. Four. Solace. In the world, you will have much tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Five. Intermission. 
if Sarah can bear a child at 90, if Israel can arrive home after 40 years of thirst, I will take one more step, and then another. Well, friends, welcome to uh, Awaken. My name's Micah, if we have not met. Um, Advent. Such an interesting time. Um, Full of joy, full of anticipation, but also full of waiting, uh, hoping, and sometimes longing. So, uh, I feel sort of silly, you know, starting a sermon this way, but, you know, I had what I planned and that happened, but this is a picture of uh, what I wanted when I was 10. Uh, and this might seem really inconsequential and meaningless to you, but I'm telling you, that is Sears Super Lobo 2, friends. Remote control car. Did anyone want a remote control car when they were a kid? Yes, yes. So in my house, I don't know about you, I grew up with four brothers, and back then we had catalogs. Yeah, yeah, you got, some of you know what I'm talking about, catalogs. They actually like came to your house, they were like pieces of paper bound together in a book form. And you would go through the catalog, skipping the intimate section, right? <laughs> Guys, you know what I'm talking about, all right? Okay. <laughs> Everybody's like, oh, yeah, that's right. Skipping the intimate section. Keep that up there, if you would, Mike. And you would find the things that you wanted for Christmas as a child. And so you'd take your marker, and you would circle on the pages, you know, remembering the numbers, and you'd look at the cost, and you'd be like, oh, man, that's a lot. But, you know, Santa's got all the money in the world. So you'd circle these things, and in my Sears catalog, this one was just like highlighted, you know, circled around multiple, multiple times. I wanted this car so badly, I would have done nearly anything to get it when I was 10 years old, 1987, baby, the year the Twins won the World Series. That was a fun year. So uh, in my house, it was a two-bedroom house for seven people, Five boys upstairs and a mom and dad downstairs on a hide-a-bed in the living room. There were three of us in one bedroom, bunk bed, bunk bed, trundle bed. Those are ones you pull out from underneath, sweet setup, and then bunk bed, bunk bed. And uh, we couldn't come downstairs until 7 a.m. This was like death for a child, right? Because you never slept on Christmas Eve night. You woke up at 3 in the morning, 4 in the morning, whatever it was, waiting with anticipation for what might come. And so we would gather around at the top of the steps at 1057 Van Buren. We would look down the, down the staircase through the kitchen to a clock on the wall in the kitchen while the mice would run back and forth, you know, eating their curds and whey. <laughs> I think I might have mixed a couple stories there. So we'd sit at the top of the steps, right, waiting, waiting, waiting. And when 7 o'clock hit, it was like absolute pandelirium. Kids just tumbling downstairs. We'd round the banister and then just like Superman fly into the, the bed, into the living room, which also had the Christmas tree. And it was there that we uh, all sat quietly, looking at each other with our presents, waiting for one another to open their gifts. Who does that? I cannot believe families actually do that. Do any of your families have that tradition where you wait for each other to open presents? What in the world? It was every boy for themselves, right? So you'd get your present, and it was just shreds of paper flying everywhere. Like if they had a camera, it would have been, you know, repeatable. You could show this. And uh, in 1987, when I was 10 years old, I got the Super Lobo 2. And I, 
I put the batteries in that thing, and I took it straight outside. I ran it in the snow. I ran it in the rain. I ran it in the sand. I ran it off my neighbor's deck. They had a little thing off their driveway we would jump it off of. By the time I wrecked this car, it didn't have any fins in the back. The roll cage was totally thrashed. The fenders in the front were dead. Man, did I want that car. Do you remember the last time you really, 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 really wanted something? Like you desired it. You longed for it. I would have done anything. It's simple. It's a dumb story about a car. But do you remember the last time you really wanted something that you didn't have? That's what I want to talk about today. Uh, As we've been walking through Advent, we've looked at darkness and what it means to be people who live sometimes in the midst of darkness where for any number of circumstances and reasons we find ourselves there and it's just dark. And that maybe it's possible to understand darkness in a different way where darkness isn't where nothing happens but actually darkness is where something is happening. And that again and again and again in the scriptures we find God bringing light out of darkness and God hovering over the waters at creation before there was any light that this is the kind of God we find in the scriptures. And we looked last week at the cry, Exodus 2, where redemptive history begins in the scriptures, where Israel cries out in slavery to God, and he remembers and sees and hears and knows them. So this morning I want to talk about desire, our deepest longing. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 18. I'll ask you to stand as we read this first passage. And I want to look at two stories from the scriptures, one from Luke and one from John. And... uh, See if we can't find anything for us today about desire and longing. So Luke 18, starting in verse 35, it says this. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet, so he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stopped, and he ordered the man to be brought to him. And when he came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. So Jesus said to him, Receive your sight, your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight. And he followed Jesus, praising God. And when all the people saw it, they also praised God. Pray with me if you would. God, this morning, as we gather in this place, as we do every week, we come here with all kinds of brokenness and joy, despair and encouragement, hope. Um, God, we bring it all through these doors. And it's my prayer that as we gather and as we spend time in your word, that you would do as you always do, which is reveal yourself to us. Uh, Come near to us, God, we pray, that we might see you and hear you and know you for who you really are, Emmanuel. I pray this in the strong name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. So two stories, Blind Bart, as I like to call him, Luke 18. This shows up in a number of Gospels, a couple of different places, with a few details uh, 
But Luke tells it this way, and it's such a fascinating story. If you've never been to Israel, uh, which I have had the distinct honor and privilege to do, um, Jericho is 850 feet below sea level. It runs on, in, in the, on the, the eastern side of Israel from the Sea of Galilee, the Jordan River, down to the Dead Sea. Jericho is down here in the basin. And Jerusalem is up at 2,500 feet. So within a short span of like 15 miles, you travel almost 3,300 feet of difference in elevation. Now, three times every year, people would come to Jerusalem, and there were only certain ways you could get to it. Because it was on the top of a mountain, right? Mount Zion. It's not like just, just a, a word picture. It's literally, it's on a mountain. And there were only certain ways you could get there. And so whenever everyone would come from Israel on this side of the land, they would all go through Jericho up the road to Jerusalem. Which, of course, is where you get the story of the parable of the, uh, the Good Samaritan, right? There were bandits who hung out here who would beat people and steal their stuff and run into the desert because it was easy to hide. You have all kinds of things happening on this road to Jericho. And this is where we find the story about Bartimaeus. So imagine if you, if, with me, if you will, uh, maybe close your eyes and just try to imagine this scenario. Like put yourself in the story. Really see yourself there. So Jesus is coming to Jericho. He's on his way to Jerusalem. And this road would have been the place where all of the beggars would have gathered because everybody would have had to travel it. And so as a beggar, a blind guy, there you sit on a road between Jericho and Jerusalem and you hear footsteps traveling by and the the sounds of hooves and animals and clanging pots and pans and people and conversations. And as you sit there as a blind guy, you begin to hear this name. It comes up again and again and again. And it's this name, Jesus. And you hear that he's the one, like he's the one that you've been waiting for, that everyone has been waiting for, that all of Israel is waiting for, and it's Jesus. And he heals people, he gives them their sight back, he makes lame people walk, he rises people from the dead, and it is, the story is building and building, and so you keep hearing this name again and again and again. And there you are, blind, on the road, and you hear that he's actually coming. Like somebody says, I think Jesus of Nazareth is actually coming, and so you begin to hope. And as he passes by, as a blind guy, you just pick your moment. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me! Trying to get over the crowd and over the noise and over the loud things that are happening. And some people come and they tell you, be quiet, be quiet, stop alarming everyone. The word that's used is shrieking. He actually is like cawing like a crow, like shrieking. And so you begin even louder. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me! And then everything stops. And Jesus speaks, and he says, go get him. And your heart just starts pounding, like me? And sure enough, somebody comes over and grabs you by your coat and says, rise. And so you, bar Timaeus, son of Timaeus, stand up and you walk towards Jesus. And you're standing in front of him. You think he's there. You're blind. And you hear his voice. What? do you want me to do for you? If you have your eyes closed, open them. Bartimaeus is a very interesting character for a lot of different reasons. Um, There was a guy named Vince Lombardi. He was a football coach. He coached one of the best football teams that ever, ever played, the Green Bay Packers. Oh, at their time. 
Okay, okay. They finish well. I got to be honest. The Vikings, I don't know. Could be 8-8, eight and eight, guys. Just saying. Just saying. Back up. Walk away slowly. Vince Lombardi shows up in a locker room with a bunch of professional football players, and he holds up a ball, and he says, this is a football. One of his storied moments in his coaching career, which is to say, the fundamentals and the basics of the game, you, you, you can't pass go if you don't know them. What I want to suggest this morning as it relates to Bartimaeus is very fundamental and it's very basic. And you may think it's somewhat simple, but you can't pass go. You, if you miss this, you miss it all. Bartimaeus recognizes who Jesus was and he recognizes who he is. Bartimaeus says a couple of words in this story and they are packed with meaning. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus, the name Yeshua. In biblical Hebrew, the name Yeshua means salvation. So when you holler at the top of your lungs, Yeshua, you're saying salvation. So he addresses Jesus by his name, but also by his title, by the what he brings, salvation. And he says, son of David. Isaiah chapter 9 is where the series that we're in right now gets its inspiration. Those who are walking in darkness have seen a great light. But it goes on to say in Isaiah chapter 9, of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will rule on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. If you're an Israelite, if you're a Jew, you are waiting for the Messiah that Isaiah promises that other prophets have talked about. And this person is supposed to come and restore and redeem and recreate this great promised nation of Israel. And there will be one king over all of the world, ruling and reigning from Mount Zion. You're waiting for this Messiah, this promised person. And essentially what Bartimaeus says, son of David, it's not just, hey, I know your dad. It's you're the one. You're the one that has been promised from the beginning who will come and restore what has been broken, who will turn on the lights in a dark world, who will put back together everything that has gone wrong, who will put the world to rights, one scholar says. So by saying, Yeshua, salvation, son of David, Bartimaeus recognizes that Jesus is not just a prophet, he's not just a teacher. He's not just some guy who has tricks and magic and can make people do things and make their eyesight come back. He's the promised Messiah of God. He is the long-awaited one of Israel. He's the revelation of God made known in flesh. So I would just stop this morning for a moment and pause and say, do you recognize who Jesus is? We come from all kinds of places with all kinds of religious baggage and stories and memories and nightmarish things that may have happened or didn't happen. And I think for many of us, we're still wondering, maybe the jury's still out, is this, is this cat for real? Like Christmas, you know, the trees, Santa Claus. By the way, Santa Baby, come, you know, the, the chimney song, that's a weird song. I was at, I was at uh, Brugger's this morning with my 12-year-old and Santa baby. And she goes, this is a weird song, Dad. And I'm like, you are right. It is weird, okay? Pause. Back at it. So Christmas, Jesus, 
Like, is this guy for real? Did that actually happen? Is he really the son of God? Did he then actually die on a cross? And the kicker, right, did he rise from the dead? And so I just want to pause this morning and not pass up a very basic, fundamental assertion that the story of the Bible is making, which is that Jesus is and was the long-awaited Messiah of Israel, the hope of the world, and the Redeemer, the Recreator, the Son of God made known to us in human form. The Lord of the world. Bartimaeus recognizes it. And not only that, he recognizes who he is. He says, have mercy on me. There's an old prayer that the saints and, and, uh, would pray, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. Just again and again, kind of a, a breath prayer. Have mercy on me, a sinner. Have mercy on me, a sinner. Now, sometimes in religion and in Christianity in particular, there's this idea that like you are but a worm, worthless, and only, only by the grace of God has, are you worth anything, right? Like your sin is, that's all you are, is sin and brokenness. And so you should be all the more grateful that God has reached down out of heaven and saved you from whatever it is you think is coming next. I'm not sure that's quite getting it all. And I would want to push back on that just a little and say that there is inherent value and worth and dignity in every single human being. If you have breath in your lungs, you are a product of the divine. That cannot be lost. It cannot be erased. It can be buried. It can be far below the surface, but it cannot be done away with. Bartimaeus recognizes that he is a person in need of mercy. He is a person in need of something that he cannot do for himself. That try as he might, he remains in need. And so he cries out, Yeshua, son of David, salvation, Messiah, promised one, have mercy on me. And so I just want to stop this morning as we talk about desire. Do you recognize who Jesus is? Do you recognize who you are? Jesus' question is just absolutely fascinating. I mean, can you imagine being there, right? I mean, everybody's there. People are like, oh my gosh, he's like picking that guy. And he's standing there and like, why not me? Oh, this guy, oh, oh. there's all this commotion going on, right? And then Jesus says, you know, the climax of the story, like the pinnacle moment. He's like, what do you want me to do? If I'm there, I'm like, duh, he's blind, He wants to see, for goodness sakes. You say you're God, you'd think you'd know that. I mean, it's just kind of like a, what on earth? Like, what kind of a question is that? I I, I try to, like, imagine myself in these stories, and that's maybe what I would have thought. Like, this is is awesome. Who is this guy? What a character. Jesus. (laughs) What do you want? More on Jesus' question in just a moment, but for one second. Do you know what you desire? 
seems like a dumb question. But maybe it's not. Maybe it's just the right question. Are you in touch with the deepest longing of your heart? Intimacy and friendship with someone for a lifetime? Maybe it's significance or value in your work? Maybe it's purpose or direction? Maybe it's like a change in the monotony of your boring life. Maybe it's to be noticed and not overlooked. What do you want? I want to be seen. I want to be desired. I want to be wanted. Do you know what you long for? Because I think sometimes in our culture, we steer clear of this. Maybe we've, maybe we've been taught that somehow this is like evil or bad or it comes from a place that we shouldn't engage. Or maybe we're just really, really afraid of it. What's the posture towards your deepest longing? I think some of us think that we can't trust our desire. Maybe it's because we've been told we've been, we're nothing but a worm and full of sin and darkness. That's partly true. But I want to suggest that maybe your desire and your longing is actually closer to what it means to be human than you think it is. One of my f- favorite authors is a woman named Ruth Haley Barton. and she, I've read this quote before, but I think it's appropriate to repeat. She says, your desire for more of God than you have right now your longing for love, your need for deeper levels of spiritual transformation than you have experienced so far is the truest thing about you. You might think that your woundedness or your sinfulness is the truest thing about you, but in reality, it is your desire for God and your capacity to reach for more of God than you have right now that is the deepest essence of who you are. There is a place within each of us that is spiritual in nature the place where God's spirit witnesses with our spirit about our truest identity. Here, God's spirit dwells with our spirit, and here, our truest desires make themselves known. What if your desire, your longing, that thing that is deep, deep inside of you is not the enemy or your adversary, but actually connected to who you are in your deepest, the essence of what God made you to be? I think some of us are afraid of that, though. She goes on to say, Worse yet, what if I touch that place of longing and desire within me and let myself really feel how deep it goes only to discover that those desires cannot be met? What will I do with myself then? How will I live with desire that is awake and alive rather than asleep and repressed? There it is, right? What if I go there and I don't and it's not met. Can I handle it? Will my heart be broken beyond repair? I think for many of us, our fear is that if we name it, and somehow it doesn't come to pass, our hearts will be broken beyond beyond repair, and somehow that reflects who God is. And I just want to say this morning that while sometimes our deepest longings go unmet for long periods of time, and sometimes our lives, that that does not reflect the nature and the heart of God. 
I think that God, as a, as a parent, longs to and desires to give us things that bring us joy and delight. Sometimes we can't see the moving pieces. Sometimes we don't understand the whole picture. But I do not think that when our desire is not met, that that is a reflection of who God is. Jesus says, what do you want to Bartimaeus? And I think that reflects maybe one of two things. Sometimes it's a reflection of God's heart. Have you ever had something that you wanted to give something so badly and all you wanted them to do was say, please, may I? Can I have that? Like as a parent, in the the Old Testament, in the book of Samuel, when Solomon is, is asking God for wisdom, the Hebrew literally says, God says, ask me what I will give to you, Solomon. Like, oh, I'm waiting. I want to. Just ask me for it. Say it out loud. I think sometimes it's a reflection of God's heart, and I think sometimes it's a reflection of our heart. That question arrests us. What do you want? So there's this question, there's this recognition by Bartimaeus. If you have your Bibles, just quickly, turn to John chapter 4. We'll end here. This is a story about a woman at a well. You may have read it before. Verse 9 begins this way. The Samaritan woman, I'm picking it up in the middle of the story. The woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, who it is that asks you for a drink, you would never, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw, uh, nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself? as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in in them a spring of, of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water. Do you guys remember junior high? <clears throat> Sorry. Sorry, I've made you go there. Yeah, it was bad. It was bad for a lot of us. Really bad. <clears throat> I remember the first dance I ever went to as a junior higher, which I now have kids asking me if I can go to a dance. I'm like, oh my gosh. <clears throat> <clears throat> okay, so junior high, right? That moment where a boy or a girl walks up to someone they fancy and they stand there. <laughs> Just like... Just willing the words out. Will you dance with me? Ah, I said it! Right? And then comes this really, really awkward and beautiful and vulnerable moment. No. No. Not in a million years. Well, I'm an evolutionist, so I think that there's billions of years, so you're saying there's a chance. (laughs) But that moment when you're standing before somebody and you ask them for something, it's vulnerable. It's like you're naked. Like there's just nothing to hide behind, and there you are. Will you dance with me? I imagine this moment at the well a bit like that. Sir, 
Will you give me that water? So this morning, I want to offer the, a, a moment, an opportunity for us to consider, to think about how would we answer that question if God were to ask us today? What do you want? And I suppose that those answers could go all over the map for us this morning. And this season in particular brings up all kinds of things. So I'm going to lead us into a time of silence. And I'm going to invite you to hear that question. What do you want? And maybe this morning, an invitation to not bury desire or longing, to not shoot it up with anesthesia so I don't feel it, but to just name it, to say it out loud, to make it a friend, not an enemy or an adversary. And I don't promise anything will happen. I don't promise that whatever you name, that that desire will be met. But I do think it will move you one click towards what it means to be more human, to be more in touch with and more appropriately connected to who you are and who God made you to be. I think if we move away from that, we become less of who God made us to be. And I think when we're fully alive, we feel. And that's a gift. So maybe an invitation this morning to just feel again. So if you would, maybe bow your heads, close your eyes. Uh, God, as we enter this time of silence this morning, as we sing, as we're together, just for a few more minutes, I want to invite us as a community to hear this question that you ask, this arresting and surprising and profound question that you ask this blind guy on a road out of Jericho. What do you want? Friends, uh, I'm going to ask Jen to come and read a a blessing, a benediction for us uh, as we go. But before she does, um, I just want to say, if you're here this morning and maybe for the first time or in a different way, uh, there's a recognition of who God is and what God has done in Jesus, um, we're a community that wants to walk with you um, in, in the implications of what that means. And, uh, and so you're not alone. Um, I want to invite you to share that with somebody. Maybe you came with somebody this morning or there's a prayer team that would be glad to pray with you. Um, or maybe there's a desire that you've named for the first time in a long time and you just need somebody to bear witness to it. Um, I'll be over here. Uh, the prayer team will be over here. We'd be glad to do that for you and with you. Um, So, Jen. Remember that the prayer team is available after the gathering to pray with you or for you. Receive this benediction. May you come to know your desire and longing, not as an adversary, but as a friend, one that you can name and say out loud and bring into the presence of God just as it is. May you recognize Jesus for who he is and yourself for who you are. May you have the courage to ask God for what you need. And may you learn to hold your desire and longing as you wait for the advent of Jesus this Christmas. Grace and peace. Find us online 
at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash awakencommunity or on Twitter at awakencommunity. See you next time.